chapter 10. And really, it's a continuation of Tuesday night. I don't know how many of you pay any attention to Tuesday night. But from last week, we got to study this subject here. We're getting closer to the coming of Jesus. And therefore, we should be studying some pertinent material that affect our lives and our walk with Jesus. The 10th chapter of Genesis, praise God. In verse 31, let's read together. These are the sons of Shem after their... Let's read together. Verse 31, these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, and their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after the generation in their issues. By these were the issues divided in the earth after the flood. Lord, bless our study. Whatever thing that you have, bless us. We want to experience the kind of blessing on this service, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you'll be seated. I didn't know this till I came in the church. And I learned a lot about life after coming into church. I took a lot of things for granted. Until I got old, I realized my bones are not as solid as they were and used to be. Amen. And as the age rolled by, your mortality become more a reality. But we take for granted that word, families, of the sons of Noah. Every one of us here came out of Noah. Can you believe that? We all linked to Noah. But of course, Noah came out of Adam. Noah is the tenth generation from Adam. But there are millions, I'm sure probably billions of people that lived in the time of Noah after the flood. Only eight souls survived. It was all male and female. And even though our laws are trying to change a lot of stuff today, you can't change what is settled in heaven. Heaven just laughed at us. All these guys were changing these stuff. 25 years from now, they won't even be here. They'll be in the sod, in the ground, dead, buried. And God's work continue on. The judges and the lawyers, the barristers and all the senators and all the government officials, they will be history. But the word of God abideth forever. For generation to generation. And every generation will come think they're smarter than the previous one. Think they're more civilized. Not true. Not true. Every generation reached an apex of understanding and wisdom, so they self-destruct. And God started all over again. Amen. But it says in verse 1, chapter 11, And the earth was of one language and of one speech. It makes sense. That's how it was. And then the Lord confounded their language and scared them in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And then God began to give us a generation of 
down to Abraham from verse 10 on to verse 26. Here a family mentioned in verse 27 to 30. And then their, their traveling is mentioned in the scripture. And God focused on the family of Noah and spoke of him as finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, the only family that found grace. Now, we find it hard to believe that there could be a population explosion and only one family survive. That says a lot about God. God's not interested in a thing we are interested in. God doesn't see us as we see ourselves. To God, we're less than grasshoppers. We're so small and so, so minute in his eyes. Very minute. We are like the flower of the grass of the field. We flourish in the morning and in the evening we just withered away. And he remained the same. Unchanging. No wrinkle in his brow. No whitening of his hair or blackening of his hair. He remained the same. We come, we pass on. David recognized that. And so we're just tenants in this body. The body you have, you're, you're a tenant. The landlord is God. And he determined how long we stay in this house of clay. And then after a while, you just evict us out of it and move on to somebody else. Praise God. But I'm glad we found Jesus. Rather, he found me. Because he wasn't lost. I was lost. Praise the Lord. All right? There's some things to learn about the family. And I'm going to show you my chart first. And then try to give some scriptures show you that scripture confirm what I'm saying. Uh, let me do this first. In Genesis, we find in chapter 1, God made Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they were not an accident. They were a deliberate design of God. God made male and female. Please forget the controversy you're hearing in schools and carrying on. Here's what happened. God made Adam and Eve. Adam, and Adam knew his wife. And Adam impregnate Mary, I mean, uh, his wife, Eve. And a seed was planted. And that seed germinate into her womb by way of the fallopian tube up to her womb. And through the act of God, something happened. It fertilized and brought forth, amen, a son. After nine months, Something happened. A child is born. We learned that by observation. We didn't do it by education, but by observation. We know after nine months, a child is born. And the first month when that child is born, some men have sat down and looked at the voices and the different milestones a child go through. And they said in one month, the child is able to respond to his voice and adjust in anticipation of being held cross arms and legs and play and make fists. They said in two months' time, that child could actually visually recognize a caregiver, smile when someone smiles, make crawling movements when prone, hold up legs when, amen, are in certain posture. They said three months later, they can vocalize two different uh, vowels and sounds. Uh, these are observations people made. And that they react to this appearance of a face, 
eight turns and went initially in uh, supine position to side and then to back. And they respond in many different ways. And it goes to the fourth month, the fifth month. It's about the sixth month this child is able to smile at mirror images and bang and, and play and sit alone momentarily, pull to sitting position, and so forth. Now, somebody sat down and just observed their kid. And I'm not sure how many families do that. I'm not sure my mom and dad did that. Well, I'm just here. If you ask them what happened in these different months, they couldn't tell you a clue what went on. <laughs> but some people have sat down and make a journal what goes on. And they said in, in eight months, they can vocalize three different levels of sound, raise their body to sitting position from, from a certain position. They said 11 months later, they can use gestures to make wants known, look at pictures in books, walk uh, sideways while holding onto furniture. They can sit down, stand up. By the time they come one year old, since they left the room, <coughs> they can turn pages, pages of a book, and walk and cause problems trying to help. Then they said 19 months later, they can build towers of two cubes, use words to make wants known. By 28 months, they can build a tower of six cubes. It goes on. And by 34 months, they can imitate vertical and horizontal stroke. By 42 months, they can name four colors. 48 months, they can go tall to alone. 60 months, and they can skip and, and tie shoes and do all these stuff and cause the problem. Kids go through all these developmental stages. Now, why would God put us through that long, lonely, laborious state of dependency? What is God trying to do when he made Adam and Eve? What is he trying to tell us when he made Adam and said it's not good for Adam to be alone? Why would he make Eve and, and, and give us such infinite information about where Eve came from, how she came into existence, and how Adam responded to her, and why would God do all that? Now, we enjoy those creative activities, you know, in recreation and procreation. We, we get older and we enjoy those situations. But what's God trying to teach us? And then God said, oh, shall a man leave his parents and family and marry to his wife and stay with his wife and whatever. Now, we reverse that. The wife leaves the family and can join us. But God said next way around, we should leave our family and go join her. <coughs> that's not what we do. We change, we change that. And that's fine with God. That's what you want. That's fine. Makes sense to me. But I did anyhow. Hallelujah. But it works. Amen. And so God gave us that kind of a scenario. Then they grew up and have sons and daughters. We introduced a term called sons and daughters. And then next word, children. Then we introduced a word called father, mother sisters, brothers. Those are terms we didn't develop them. God gave them to us. But what is God trying to teach us? And pretty soon, they call family. If Adam and Eve didn't exist, it could not be a family. If it was both male only, it couldn't be a family. If it was all female, it couldn't be a family. But God made a male and female, and a family could come out of that union. Amen. And communion that took place in chapter 10 and verse 5. By these were the eyes of the Gentiles divided in their land, everyone 
after his tongue, that's after God confused their languages, I mean their language, the languages, after their families in their nations. Verse 18, 20, 31, 32, use the word again, families. That's the oldest institution on earth. Long before they had governments, long before they had police forces, armies, and long before they had political parties and, and all these gyrations, all that, even for that church, families was the first institution that God had on earth. And God gave them a constitution called the Bible, the Word of God. Adam had a constitution to follow. Obviously, he didn't follow it. And now the trouble. But that's, that's the oldest institution. And obviously, they tell me if you break up the family, you can destroy a city. And when the city is destroyed, the provinces are broken up. And when the provinces break up, then the country breaks up. And when the country breaks up, the world breaks up. And pretty soon the earth falls apart. And that's where we are today. There's a definite attack on the family, both by devils and by men, by systems of government and ideologies and such like. And they don't understand why God created us. Well, we were told that we are for his pleasure. I'm not sure how we bring pleasure to God. We sweaty creatures, you know, and we have different scents come from our body, yet we bring God pleasure. Why would he not be satisfied with the angels in heaven? Why wouldn't he be satisfied with uh, the cherubs and the seraphims in heaven? Got a whole bunch up there, much more than humanity. They outnumber us. They're mightier and powerful. And yet God was not seemingly satisfied just to have them, that he went through all of this book just to get us. Went through all this just to bring us into being and sustain our existence. And every day, every morning, every night, every, every second of our lives, he's involved. There's never a moment when God's not involved with every individual, the good, the bad, the ugly, the kind, and the unkind. He's involved because you can't live without him. And then we live and move and have our being, our breath comes from him. And, you know, it's amazing how God, after makes such a beautiful designed person called humanity, such beautiful hair, such good looks, and such wonderful muscles and strength. And then after all that, he buried it in the ground. Now, to me, that don't make sense. When I think of how intricate we are, how delicate we are, and doctors try to work on us, how, you know, it's unimaginable how we put together. How the teeth grow in their proper places. Nothing out of place. Everything in place. And then God would let that thing die and bury it with all that brain power, that potential, that knowledge. And put it in the sod. Tomorrow they put it in the sod and walk away and left it like nothing happened. I thought, I wouldn't do that with my car. I wouldn't do that with all things I have. But yet God can do that. And after we're gone, he's not out of stuff. He just gives birth to another one. He kept the cycle going. 
Amen. But David said, we're fearfully and wondrously made. Now, I'm not sure if you realize this, but we have family structure here on earth that came from God. Now, from last Friday, I need to teach it to you, but Lord says, no, wait. So I give a little hint on Tuesday. You folks have never seen that before. That is, is in no textbook anywhere. That's from the Lord. Look at it real good. And you need to understand this. In Genesis, chapter 10 and 11, we have ethnic families. That's where the word families came from. Webster Dictionary didn't, didn't, did not arrive at that word by itself or any Greek diction lexicon. God gave us that word, families. Moses wrote it down. Ethnic families. Can you all see this? How many cannot see this? Okay. How many can't see it? Is it worse off now? Are you guys worse off? You better off? You can all see it? Okay. I see thumbs up. Any thumbs down? <laughs> okay. Ethnic families. That's what you read in chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis. All this is in the Bible, but you will not figure that out unless God showed it to you. Now, the Mormons come pretty close to understanding this. And they really, really went overboard with this. Because they tried to tell you that you pre-existed before. And you're down here being punished on earth and qualified to go back to be where you were before. Not true. This is your first time on earth. You came on this earth the day you were born, right? By the will of the flesh, God worked with it. National ethnic families, North American families, Canadian families, African continent families, European families, etc. But then you have your biological family. It's very important. Your biological family came out of the loins of your parents by procreation. The ethnic families came in existence by creation, and then by procreation, we continue what God did in Genesis 1 with his help, of course. And get biological family. And then we have a family not spoken of. The families in heaven. Spiritual families. And if you don't understand this, you're going to have problems loving God. I'm going to surprise you and ask you to put on the board for me Matthew 10, 29 to 39. Because we're ignorant of this, we fail God. But after you go in that sod, you cease to exist with ethnic families. When you die, your, your tie with your country cease. When you die, your biological connection with your family 
cease. And then in the other world, which you know nothing about, which is what the Bible tells you, you're supposed to believe or not to believe it, you have to go somewhere. Somewhere. You go somewhere. Obviously, the Bible says the devil is the father of lies, and they're children of the devil. And then the Bible says Jesus Christ is the father of truth, and they call children of God. Children of the world that we don't know anything about, never been there before, your status has to be declared where you belong. The spiritual family. Fear not them which kill the body, like, you know, Isis want to do, you know, other cultic groups want to do to you and me, who believe in Jesus. But are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy the body, soul, in hell. You say, well, I don't fear that. You don't have to. You will. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So it says who to fear. Now, verse 29 says, are not two sparrows so far a farthing, which you don't know a penny today, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. Next verse. But your very hair after your head are all numbered. If you're losing hair, God knows it. He knows how many is left, how many you lost. <laughs> Fear not, therefore, you're, you're more valuable than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. There's a Father in heaven? There's a Father in heaven? And whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Oh, Father? So he's speaking as a son. Next verse. Give me another verse. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Is that Jesus talking? Absolutely. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father. Can you believe that? And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I thought Jesus was the prince of peace. The master of peace. He's causing problems. Next verse. And a man, enemy, or foe shall be they of his own household. He says your enemy is going to be right in your house. Sometime in your bosom, sometime in your kids, sometime in a member of your family, your greatest enemy will be. Why? Here's why. He that loveth, the word loveth means continuously, father or mother more than me. See now? He's having competition here. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. You know what happened there? You listen to your wife more than me. Get out of here. 
Eli, you love your sons more than me. Out. He that loveth, put that there, please. I'm not sure. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, you're not going to be where I live. You're going to live with him or go live with her. Go live with them if you want to. But you sure won't have me. In other words, he's saying, I am number one. You know why? Because he's the creator. He's the one that brought you and the one you're loving into existence. And you owe your allegiance not to them, but to him. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Go on. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. What do you say here? When they told me one time, she says, when I found out my grandma went to hell, so I don't want church no more, I'm going to hell with you. You know, she ended up, she died. Many, many years later, when she's gone, she went to hell. That's her choice. One thing about God, he's a gentleman, he respects your choice. God does not interfere with choice because we're made rational people, responsible, accountable people. We can say, yes, no, I believe, I chose not to believe. I chose to obey, I chose not to obey. Look at this right here, so, okay? So who do we love the most? Which of these do we love the most? Well, our national, our biological, or our spiritual? He's telling you, my advice is not making you do it. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. There's none beside me. I am the only door. And anything else beside me is going to go in the ditch. Now, I'll be in the cemetery questioning that authority. And I wonder what they found out when they gone from this earth. I think they're surprised. Found out he's right. All right? Matthew 12, 4, 6, and 50. Go there, please. Now, folks, these are, these are not a fine textbook on government systems or sociologies or, or you know, lectures they give. Even your own family won't even know this. Because sometimes your family will, beguile, will beat you up for, for making choices that they think you put the church over me. You put your family over me. Look at some stuff here. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. Why do you talk to the people, Jesus? Jesus, behold, his mother, Mary, and his brethren stood. Yeah, about seven, seven or eight brethren, brothers and sisters. And his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him, while he's at church talking to the people of God. All right? Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. Next verse. But he answered and said unto him that told him, he, this is Jesus talking here, Who is my mother? Mary's hearing all that. And who are my brethren? His brothers and sisters are hearing that. I think he was mad. He decided himself what he's doing. 
And he stretched forth his hands towards his 12 disciples and said, those 12 men are my what? Mother and my brethren, not them. He's saying, these guys are my mother and my brothers, not these. Now, I'm not teaching false doctrine. I'm teaching you the Bible. He says, hey, that's my family right here, not these. And these don't believe in him. At least Mary does. So brothers and sisters don't believe. They thought Jesus is cracking. He's mad. They're trying to get him. They're trying to arrest him to pull him away from the crowd. So you're beside yourself, Jesus. What are you doing? You're my brother. You're just a carpenter. And they said, no, you're wrong. You're not my brother. And sister. In fact, they said to him one time, you just be proud. You want everybody to know who you are. Go up and show yourself. He said, no, no, no. You guys are wrong, brother and sister. He said, your time is any time. But my time is not yet. You go without me. That's why in Matthew, in John 7, he cried and said, if any man thirst and come unto me, was in that episode when they said that to Jesus. <coughs> now, people have used these to overthrow their own faith. <coughs> you can have cultural ties. <coughs> make you go with the wrong crowd. You can make your family keep you out of church and go to hell. And you will never attain this. And you don't have to if you don't want to. You can go down with them if you want to. Eli did with his son. Adam got kicked out with his wife. He told him, hey, she doesn't speak louder than me. Job says, no way. Job says, Job's friends, he says, no. Job's wife, he says, no. And Job said to God, yes. God bless them. Obviously, he saved her afterwards because of his decision he made. So, what we find here, but did you know you cannot be a pastor and you cannot be a church leader if you neglect your biological family? Because I don't care how many Harvard University you go to, I don't care how many Bible college you go to, how many Greek you know Hebrew, when God is choosing a man for this pulpit, he chooses it based on family relationships. If you don't take care of your family, he says you don't have the qualifications to take care of the things of God. Balance teaching. God is using the natural family as a model of what heaven should be like. Where you live is not just a house. It's a home. <laughs> it's a palace. There's a king there. There's a queen there. It's a royal family. And there are laws there. There's structure there. And so God says, if a man don't take care of his family, 
than he denied the faith. God said he's worse than a sinner. It's like God called him an infidel, an unbeliever. The Bible says that very plainly. All right? Now, let me use some natural things and some stuff here about a natural family. What goes to a natural family? Number one, in a natural family, we teach. Romans 16, verse 1 says, you're supposed to you're commanded to teach as a family. Your children must be taught. Husband teach their wives and vice versa. And, and their parents teach their kids. Teaching is a must. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 1. You must sit down with your son and daughter and teach them. Now, you can't use church as a reason why you don't do that. Neither can you vice versa turn it around. You have to find time for your home. Now, I'm going to confess to you folks. I'm watching you. You're almost addicted to the things of God. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're involved with things of God. But you need time for your family. In this church, you do. You need time for your family. We don't want you to neglect your family and say, well, I'm doing church work. That's just, that's just wrong as the other side. We've got time for, that's why we can't schedule everything Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So when do you spend time with your family? You've you got to have family time. That's why we got to schedule when we meet and when we do things, right? That's why God gave t the, the three festivals, one in April, one in June, one in October. They're spread out. So when times come together, God said, you better come together with me. We can't use a family as a reason why they don't come together. And they, they do that. They balance it up. Now, there are people who are, who are, who are addicted to the faith, you know, and, and that's wonderful. <laughs> Great will be rewarded, much more than anybody else. But my point is this. God is not destroying what he instituted. God is saying, I want you to know why I placed this on earth. And from that object lesson, teaching. Because the next, the next job in a family is training. Tell me a family that exists and don't know training. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train for a child in the way it should go. Is that written just for the biological family? Everything I'm reading right now applies to the church. Also, provide for the family. First Timothy 5 8. If any provide not for his own house, especially those of the house uh, of his own house, he's denied the faith. Wow. That's amazing. Those are strong words. Amen. And then we have also Ephesians 6 4 says, Don't provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. In other words, give them some teaching and guidance. Don't, don't overstress them. All right? Next thing God says to your children, God says, point five, control your kids. First Timothy 3, 4 says, to, to be a preacher or a teacher, or a, a church leader, you have to have your kids in subjection with all gravity. Control. Next point is number six. You have to love your children. And wives got to be taught how to love their husbands. And husbands got to be taught how to love their wives. And they both have to be taught how to love their children. Why does God put that in there? There's a reason for it. It's not just for common man. There's a higher level for this Bible that we can see here. And then number seven, God says, Correct. 
Proverbs 23, 13. Don't withhold correction from a child because if you do, you don't love that kid. If you spank him, it will not destroy him. It will save him. Number eight, he says, instruct, teach him knowledge. Make him understand doctrine. When they're weaned from the breast, it's time to teach them the way of life. And finally, influence. God wants to know how to influence our family. Listen to this. It says that when I call to remembrance, 2 Timothy 1, 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lewis, and thy mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. See, generational transfer. You can transfer habits or good or bad. Now, can I go on? We're going to see some metaphors here. Husband and wife. This is one of the, the, the greatest responsibility ever placed on man. When God said, husband, you're supposed to be like Jesus. Wives, you're supposed to be like, G like the church. Those are awesome responsibilities God's placing on you. Huh? Some guys can never leave mama and stick around their wife. Let's see. Keep it out of the house. Drive down the road. Go to your wife. Stay there. Don't come back till I call you. It's terrible when a man has to choose between, you know, his mom and his wife. There's no, there's no decision there. It's a pay cut. Bye-bye, mom. Bye-bye, long-time happiness. Here come new happiness. God says, but leave and cleave. Is that right? No. We're going somewhere, folks. God says, there is a relationship between the man and his wife. Now, wives, this is not a marriage seminar, so not anyone right now. But women can see a man being her head. And she figure if that's the head, then call Isis. I want him to be decapitated. <laughs> I'd rather go headless. <laughs> I don't claim this head. <laughs> Isis does serve a good purpose. The wives who don't want that head. But it says, Ephesians 5, 23, put it on the board, please. Now, this is, this is bad stuff for wife and husband. For the husband is the head of the wife. And she said, I didn't vote you. I didn't vote for you, so you're not my head. <laughs> I, I didn't make you the head. As Christ is the head of the church. Wives must submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. Wow. 
that mean almost worship the guy, reverence him. When was the last time you said to your husband, oh, my Lord? Sister, did you just lie? <laughs> I think she just lied. Well, lay hands on her. <laughs> or was she swearing? <laughs> no. Now, you ladies ask later on. Do you say Lord to your husband? You ask later on. <laughs> Take her out. She's smart as the Lord knoweth. I can't tell. Verse 23. Husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Same of the body. Verse 24. As a church is in subjection to Christ, so wives in subjection to their own husbands. Verse 25. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28. So men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And he's supposed to nourish his wife and cherish his wife, even as the Lord, the church. These are high ideals. Verse 30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and his bones. Verse 32. But I speak of Christ and the church, and call this a great mystery. Even so, the man must love his wife as himself. And see that the wife gives reverence to the husband. Look at those words. Those are powerful words. If you're married, you have to read that chapter. You ought to read it. The problem is, what if it's a one-sided thing? Well, still give your one-sided thing. What about the other part? You please God anyhow. I hear about a lady in, in uh, Baltimore after her husband, after the pastor preached this. He made a mistake and asked her to pray the prayer just before prayer. And she cried, oh, Lord, you know I love the pastor, but I just don't believe nothing he just said a while ago. I will not do that to Chester, not him, no, not now, not ever. Oh, there's no Chester here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Then there's children born in that marriage, right? And then it says, St. Corinthians 6.18, God said it's a message to the church. So he's calling us sons and daughters. Every child takes on the family name. Every family has a name. It says, if my peoples are called by my name, so you say you belong to my family, right? It says, out of Egypt I call my sons. God's calling us sons and daughters, etc. Let's look at this right here. The point I'm trying to make here is the church family is a metaphor. It is a metaphor. Really, when God designed man on earth, he was trying to give us messages about himself on a level we can understand. When he created Eve, he's trying to give us a message about the church he wants to have and use our natural relationship to teach of heaven the things that's going to be. Now, nobody in this church is a sheep. Is there? I hope not. You got two legs and four. 
But what's the message it's communicating? Looks like I showed it back here. What's he trying to teach us here? He's really trying to teach about the family in heaven. He's using your natural family to teach about the family in heaven because you've never been there. And if you understand your natural family and the relationship that exists and the need supply in the family, then you can really function in the local church. You ever hear people say, well, you know, I love God, but I don't, I don't like his church. Well, don't love me and hate my wife. It's crazy. It won't work. You can't love me and hate my kids. You shouldn't stand for that. Why would you stand for that? You shouldn't. Not can you say, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. Hey, that's his body you're hating. That's his body. Look at this right here. Sheep. A type and shadow. Body, family, bride, husband, sons and daughters, children, house, birth, new birth, name. Why God use all these metaphors? Because sheep is teaching us about belonging to the fold. Body means united. I don't see a disjointed body here. Your arm is not in the wrong place or your toes or your eyes or your nose. They're in the right place. I mean, everybody in the body is in the right place. Fitting the joint together. The nose isn't the body, not the ear. Uh -huh. But collectively, you are the body of Christ. And then the family is a metaphor. When we all come together, we know family means we come together in relationship, in membership. When we think of uh, the bride, we know my mother was my father's bride. And their union and communion brought me into being. And so husband... And fatherhood, bride and motherhood, we know what it means on earth. And when you read about Christ and the bride in heaven, you should understand what it means. Because you've had natural local understanding. All right? This is like, this is like a, a pilot plan. Show you how the mega plant going to look. How it's going to behave. And then we have here sons and daughters are born to this relationship here with a father and mother because without kids, you're not a father or a mom, right? That means children are born. And so we're sons and daughters. If we're sons and daughters to God, then somewhere we're born again. We're born. We're birthed. So there is a relationship between brothers and sisters. And then we have here, here a house. All these people fit into one house. Mean togetherness. So sons and daughters or children mean relationship. And house mean togetherness. And birth took place, otherwise you wouldn't be sons and daughters. I told you about developmental stages. One month, six months, three months, and so on down the road. Different things happen. Same thing happened to new converts. When they're born, they're born a babe. And they go through developmental stages. And you should understand that when a new person comes to church, and you can't say, well, they get off with it, I should get off with it too. Because a, a newborn baby in the house, get away with all stuff you can't get away with. 
because of age maturity requirement. And then name. The family, the name of the father is given to the wife, and collectively they give their names to their children. Family name. I want you all to see that. <coughs> Back to this. So the only reason why God gave you a son and a daughter and children is to teach you about heaven. Not what they're doing today in, in the news. That's aberrant. That's dysfunctional. That's messing up God's plan and reveal nothing about God to them. Every, every wife should see herself, I represent what the church should be. Every husband should say, I represent what Christ ought to be. But that's not taught. That's not practiced. So we end up with dysfunctional behavior. Wrong behavior. Now, we're going to teach the world. Nobody. I've come to church to learn that. Because the world is outside the Garden of Eden, where sin turned off the ring. Once they come in the Garden of Eden, there's do and don'ts. Look at this here. Look at this right here. What do you notice from that? What do you notice there? Sure you read it. God said, you'll be among the sons and daughters of your father to you. <laughs> so, Lord, when did you become my father? When did you become my mom? Well, Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. And Jesus Christ is our father. When I pray, our Father, who art in heaven, I've never seen him, but based on my relationship, my natural dad, I know how he's going to be to me. Now, it's sad if you got one that didn't represent him properly. Then God give you a mentor. God give you a coach or somebody that can represent that to you, who will take that place. Maybe your father was not like he should be, or your mom was not like he should be. But God gave you somebody else who will fit that role. So the word adoption is not a dirty word. In the Roman law, you could get rid of the kid that was naturally born, but they were not allowed to get rid of the kid that was adopted. The law says if you adopt that kid, you keep that kid for life. You sign a covenant. A kid who was born in a family, that family had no choice when that kid was born. But a kid who was adopted, the parents chose that kid. And that's why all Christians are born again first, and then God adopted them into the family. So we're both. 
We're born again. Then we are adopted. So being adopted don't mean you're inferior. I mean that you're, you're here by choice. We chose to have you. All right? Look at this here. The biological home, the Christian home, and the heavenly home. I'm trying to show you what I'm telling you is true. The biological home as a father, so is the Christian home, so is the heavenly home. What's true in your biological home should be true in the church, should be true in the heavenly home. So there's a mother in the biological home, there's a mother in the church, there's a mother in heaven. Good family. There are children in the biological family, so there's in the spiritual and in heaven there's also children. Okay, biological there's a home there's a house. Church is a house, in heaven is a house. So I call the biological your mortal relationship. Is lesser in importance and priority to your church relationship. That's hard to say, but it's true. Nowhere are you isolated in your life for your biological family, but in the faith you're told to lay down your life for your brother or your sister. Now, you don't have to accept this, nor am I asking you to accept it. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. I have no problem with this because I, I didn't design the world. I didn't put man on earth. I didn't put man here to live. I didn't write the laws. I'm just here to see the laws and obey the laws. I'm putting up the, co the consequences for the benefit of serving God and his laws. What we have here, the families of nations, the families of the church, the family of heaven. We're citizens of the na our national geographical. We're citizens of the church, and we're citizens of heaven. When a law comes up and conflict the higher law, we obey the higher law. The national law is lesser than the church law. And the church law must appeal to the higher law, which is heaven. A lot of folks in the cemetery learn this too late or backwards. They live their life in vain. No one taught them. You can't be saved without a preacher. And you can't preach except you be sent. <laughs> now, folks, look at this. National family, kingdom. Church family, kingdom. Heavenly family, kingdom. Way over here in eternity. National citizenship. Church, citizen of the household of faith. Heaven, citizenship. Or you can't go up in the rapture. It's impossible. National families have laws. Church has laws. And heaven. So it says, 
Your church is legalistic. Well, so is this other nation. Our nation is run by legalism. Is it not? There's a judge in a court here, a lawyer, a barrister, a courtian. What, what do they represent? Legalism. You have to understand this. That's why Job took the position he took. Job said, you talk like one of these national people. What you told him to do was wrong. He said, curse God and die. He said, you're wrong. And he, he, he appealed to the higher law. Because I know my Redeemer liveth. The Hebrew kids make a decision. Josiah had to put his mother out of the, out of the house of God because he practiced idolatry. <coughs> Eli put his son over the kingdom of God and lost out. He and them lost together. Samuel's mother put God's house above her house and gave her son. Isaac chose, I mean, Abraham chose to give up his son to the kingdom of God than spare him. Now, folks, look at this here. So you can see the family ties goes this way. Thank God we live the country is free. National Geographic country is free. But the longer you live, the less of your grip is on it. You're losing grip all the time. You're losing tie with your country, and you're losing tie with your biological family as you age. As you age, you're losing tie with Canada. You're losing tie with your national, your, your biological family. They're going to put you in that ground and walk away and leave you there. And the only thing you left written now is, do you have any tie with heaven? That's why there's no such thing as a North American church, a European church, a West Indian church. They don't exist. No, they don't exist. No. I know people try to bring that into the faith, but it doesn't work. It's what God taught us. So my eternal family, our eternal home, will be hopefully heaven. My mortal home is my, my biological family, and my national home is in my country. Understand that, church. So, you should have no problem in living for God if you understand this. Now, it may cost you a cross to do this. Jesus told you it would. Give me a cross and follow me because they're going to they're gonna hate you over that. But you understand that my future is not in my national geographic ties or my biological ties. My future is in Christ. In him we live and move and have our existence. Not in my family, but my family is a stepping stone to that. So I'm going to learn how to treat God based on how I see my family. Now, does this make sense? It's not theory. 
Now, what I really want to talk to you about is there is no inferior saint. There is no inferior saint. If one family member brings shame, the whole family is smeared. If one family member that glorified with a trophy, we're all glorified. As is true in the natural family or in the country, so it is in the heavenly. In the Olympics, when a country is disqualified, the whole country is shamed. Then his family got shamed. Work his way down. Right? So everybody should be supportive of each other. And shouldn't uh, feel I'm superior to you. We have one father. Malachi 2.10 says that. We have one birth. We're all joined here with Jesus Christ because everybody in the family have a right to the heirship of what the family has. Join here with Jesus. Join here in your natural family. Join here to Canadian wealth, gross national product. All right? Now, where I want to go is in relationships. In 1 Corinthians 12, go there. Verse 16, 7, 21. I'm going to tell you right now. One of the reasons why the church does not grow and does not maintain saints and maintain converts is because they don't understand this. Somebody offend them and they walk out. It's a church. How many times do you think your family... Offend you. You go change your name? <laughs> you can't change your face if you try. You still look like your family. You can't see if you even try. It says John 3 1, below what men of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Right? And we know we are the sons of God. When he comes, we're going to look just like him. We're the image of God. We have his divine nature. We are like him. And that all comes from your family. That's why the Bible gives me no problem. It says, Jesus Christ is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I am with you and shall be. My dad is a father. He's also a son. And he's a comforter a, a, a holy, to, to his wife. He's a comforter. He's not three persons. I don't problem with that. That my father is a father, that my father is a son, that my father is a husband, a comforter. Hello? So I'm not trained yet on that. I got one. But I see roles, distinctions in the one person. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 16. I'm not the I, verse 17. So because you're not the I, does that mean you don't need the hearing, the ears? And because you're not the ears, you're not the hands, and Paul is looking at your body and said, your body don't have the problems you have in the local church. I said, 
body of Christ, we're not acting like it because you got problems. The eye and the ears and the hands are quarreling. Because in your body, there's no quarrel. You go to McDonald's tonight, the whole body's going with you. Your ten toes are going with you. Your hair is going with you. The hair don't say, well, I don't want to go. I don't think so. I don't think your legs say, well, I don't want to flex traveling today. The heart said, well, you're in your own bias. You may come back. No. We are connected. Where one go, we all go. We all stay, we all stay. Romans 12, 5 says, being many, we're one body, and we're member one of another. I mean, I'm a member of you. I'm noble. You are ignoble. I am royalty. You're just a peasant. Hello. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says, there should be no schism in the body, but there should be equal care for every person in the body. So I don't care if you have a car or no car, you're poor, you're not working. If I see you and you have a need, I have a need too. If you're hurting, I'm hurting too. If you're crying, I'm crying too. Okay? That's what you do. If you're sad, I want to weigh you sad, cheer you up and be sad with you or be glad with you. I'm connected. That scripture, write it down and read it, please. I'm hurrying on here. James 2, James 2 describe us and say we must stop partiality among ourselves because I ain't going to give my thumb more love than I give my toes. In verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, James says, you can't be a respectful person. Because a man come in here and he's poor and his clothing is tattered, that don't mean he should have the lowest seat in the church. That don't mean we should not care for that individual and walk on the other side of the lane in the church. If they're born again, they belong to Jesus. And when your baby is just born and start messing up his, his diaper, you don't throw it away in the, in the bath water, do you? You cleanse it. Amen. And part of our fellowship is to, what, heal each other. Is that right? All right. James warned us about that partiality and respective personalities. James 3, 14 and 16 says, No envying is allowed in, in Christ's body or his church. No strife is allowed. James 4 and verse 5 says, don't speak evil one of another or a brother. In other words, if you see your brother's overtaking a fault or a sister, don't go publish it. Don't go spread and tell the world what my weaknesses are and teach them to avoid me. Or part of my failures, they just come in church. Why are you talking about my weaknesses for? They're fine for themselves. And they may not find that in me. You found in me. James 4 and 5. All right? What it says there. Do you think that the scripture said in vain? The scripture 
The spirit that dwelleth in us loves us to envy. All right. Let's read the next verse. But he giveth grace to the what? Humble. All right. Now, in, in chapter 4, I need, please, at verse 5. 4 and verse 5. Is that James 4 and verse 5? All right. It says, but brethren, next verse, please. Something's missing there. Keep going. What I have here in, I'm sorry, verse 11, I need, sorry. I need verse 11. My mistake. My glasses are leading astray here. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother judgeth his brother. Wow. That, are we guilty of that? In a family, you can't do that. Praise God. He says you're not supposed to do that. All right? Let's go through this. In the church, some folks dread coming to church because they figure Sister Sons are going to be there, Brother Sons are going to be there. They should not be. The church is the house of God. This is a dress rehearsal for a performance in heaven. That's what this is, really. Together we eat, together we pray, together we wash one another's feet until we come to the feet of Jesus. Look at this, folks. You belong to the church. You're not going to church. I belong. Well, what are you doing here? What, are you, what am I doing here? I, I belong here. I belong to the family of what? God. This house is my house. It's like your house. We're joined. What? All these are scriptures. We're, let's say it with the folks. We're joined. We come together, we gather, we're knitted together, we agree together, together in one accord, we're bonded together, we're planted together, we're built together, and Jesus prayed that we may be one. This should not be hard to be accomplished if you come from a family where there's no schism. But if you come from a cantankerous family, you may bring that to church. And I'm asking you, please, have a renaissance. <laughs> have a change. If you come from a gossiping family, the chances are you're bringing it in church. And if you come from a loving family, you're going to bring it in church. If you come from a caring family, you're going to bring it in church. Because the family is a stepping stone to the next level of spirituality. And God used that to judge us. Now, look at this. The local church family. So I don't go to church. I belong to church. It's a church again. I don't know about you, but every day, you know, I leave my house. I went right to church, back home. It's like a straight old line. Straight line. I go nowhere else. Home, church, home, church. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm here long enough to see some of you come here all the time as if you're addicted to the work of God. That's wonderful. And some never show up. 
never do anything for God. That's fine. <laughs> in, in your home, everybody don't have the same love for the family. Everybody have the same catering and charity for the family. And there are some who are very open with their mother. Communicating. And others who are standoffish. Or, you know, just the rebel in the family. But you don't jump the family and jump another family. You still care for that family. It's my, it's my family. Right? Heaven is my eternal home. The local church, I'm just one step away from heaven. The local church, I'm one step away from heaven. All right? There's no perfect family. I like to meet one. Some have malice for years, not talking to each other. And they bring the same attitude in church. All right? Don't give up on the family. I still love my family, no matter what happens. All right? Number three, accept the family as Christ accepted us. Number four, learn to accept each other in spite of habits you don't like and practices you dislike. Still, your brother. He's still your sister. All right. Learn to accept each other for their uniqueness and their differences. Okay. Forgiving each other, as Christ forgave us. Number six. Loving each other unconditionally. Not because you washed my car. Not because you, you took me for lunch. No. I love it because I just just unconditionally. I give you a ride because I see you have a need. I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to fulfill that need. All right? Because God used a family relationship to build a church. Amen. All right? The upper room, they were in a, not a cathedral or a temple. They were in a house. They were in a house. Right? Together in one place with one accord. Be merciful to each other. Be kindly affectionate to each other. Stop blaming each other. Work out differences. Families have got to learn to do that. Now, when we get to heaven, does that mean we're all 100% perfect? I don't think so. I think he was merciful to our unrighteousness. Because if he should mark problems, nobody would make it in. Nobody. Absolutely nobody would make it in. None of us would make it. Work out the differences. Make accommodation for each other. This church needs to learn the power of diplomacy. How can I be diplomatic? I know you're a skunk, but I'm going to treat you like you're a dove. I know you're not worthy of one bitter drop of compassion, but I'm going to pour it on. that was to ever happen in a church or in a family, there'd never be a quarrel. I watch dogs when they're fighting each other. Except you're a pit bull, you're different. You, you, you kill regardless. <laughs> when you got the upper hand, you still kill. Pit bulls are wicked dogs. But they were trained to do that, right? That's their nature. But 
when dogs are fighting and one realizes it's whipped, you know what he does? He leans back and put all four up. So quit biting me. <laughs> I told you you won. What's the problem? Diplomacy will stop a lot of aggression or continued festering of a problem. Accommodation. I'm going to make room for you. Give it my right. I will. I'm going to show you folks something here. I don't have much chart left here. I'm going to show you folks this here. This is free advertisement. In a family, you know if you say what you're about to say, it's going to cause a problem. You just know it. So don't even waste words and say what came to mind. Because you know it's going to be a war if you do that. And you chose to avoid to say what you were saying. Don't miss this now. This is relationship here. self-interest. Zero to 100% here. 100% here. There's a family feud going on. How should you behave? Well, you know, some of us say, Lord, well, I'm going to fight this one out. Look what happens. Low relationship, high self-interest. Can you see that? Can you see the coordinates? Look what happened there. Just look what's happening. All right, so I figure, okay, well, I don't want to deal with that sister or that brother. I'm going to avoid the situation. And so what happened? Low self-interest and low relationship. Hello. Because even though you're avoiding it, you are dying underneath. You're hurting. And you probably hate that person. And then some people use another thing called accommodation. Accommodation. Right here. Again, low self-interest. Low self-interest. In that battle, but you have hardship because one of you is a sacrificial lamb. You know that sister or that brother is doing the wrong stuff, and they will never change till Jesus comes. And you may put in your mind, I'm going to put up with this. I'm going to suffer the consequences, but I'm going to win them at all costs. I sacrifice my interests just to maintain good relationship. And yet, this is what the, the Lord would like us to have. It's called collaboration. In other words, if Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 talk about it, well, two Christians have a problem, and obviously 
they go through all these already. I'm not going to work. Right? And they go through mediation. I satisfy both my interests. I help my sister gain her interests, and she helped me gain my interests. And we both believe there's winning. Win-win situation. What would happen if you all try to date each other's women? What a great church we would have. And then we got one here, a word we don't like, but sometimes it's good. Because Jesus says we should do it sometimes. He said we should compromise sometimes. To walk the extra mile. I don't have to run. I will do it. And I walk it. But I'm talking about relationship over self-interest. Don't go talk to her about the situation right now. It's bad time, bad place, and I can see fire spitting all the place. Don't do it. You know what they did? Right down my back, go and do it. In other words, they didn't care about relationship. They care about self-interest. And you know if you deal with it, somebody's going to stumble. They put self-interest above. Paul says, you don't go to court with your sister, your brother. And if needs be, give up your right. Compromise or accommodate. And keep that relationship which means more than your self-interest. Back to my chart. All right. It's hard. It's hard to accommodate. Or prefer one above myself. Even they have all things in common, I just can't stand that person. Push their body always enough before they open their mouth. So they hear that voice, I see red. Do you know that Joseph brother couldn't talk to him tonight? <coughs> I don't care what Joseph said, they see red. I don't care what he said, they see red. You know, there are people probably in churches that dread talking to somebody. They can't even they can't communicate with them. They're scared to death of them. Number one, because that other person is very rumbunctious. And you're very nice and mild and kind. You can't you don't understand. Why can't they talk nice to me? Always seem like they're angry. But John talked to us. Why you guys are so quiet, but makes you all guilty. First John 4 20 and 21. This is where I want to be saved. Come to close here. If you say I love God and hateth the brother, you're a liar. Oops. 
cast it in. Don't use that word. That's not politically correct. You call him a liar? For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Pastor, I can't stand that, sister, but you know what? I just put up with it. Thank God you're not halfway. Let's go next level now. <laughs> Amen. Don't be a Joab where you hug Abner but kill him with a weapon. In verse 21, he that loveth God loveth his brother also. How many of you came with a really honest Christian faith Said some people in church, I love you and really mean and not lying. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I see one guy did a while ago. Everybody's kidding, dude. But he didn't hug you back, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was watching him. Get me away from you. Check him out. How many of you can really do that? You know what? And if you find your sweat gland. It's profusely bountiful. Something is wrong. Or someone start talking, their voice gets tremolo and you're nervous. Or you, you get, you know, righteousness serious. My porcupine quilts are out. You know, porcupines, you know, unless, unless the quilts are down, we can't come together. First John 3, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17. Put us all on trial. We're coming to the end right away, folks. Mm. Do we need this? Well, I was in church last night, and they said, this guy said, man, this church have a nice spirit. Oh, wonderful. Well, either, either guys were play-acting or they were real. I know in the movies, they can drop tears easy. I know one sister, she can cry if they say her mommy might be, might, might be killed. <coughs> she can cry easily. She never knows when she's sincere. Tears does not mean, tears mean, you know, like alligator, I'm about to eat you. <laughs> and if you are afraid of sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you've got them up in your heart, and you're seeing red when there's on the blue. They should pray about each other. Let's stand. What a quiet church tonight, Jesus. This is my worst sermon, and yet they're so quiet. I could tell when I missed the mark. Who do I hate in church? Let me see now. Let's say you I hate. You, 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 you. <laughs> One pastor says, I can't stand them. They give me. I thought, well, leave that ministry and leave quick. Because God loves that person. I don't care how bad they are. God still loves that individual. 1 John 3.10, if you don't love your brother, it says you have the devil. Verse 12, says so you're just like the wicked one, Cain, that slew his brother. Verse 14, 
if you love your sister and your brother unconditionally, then you've passed from death unto life. In other words, we will not see your casket. Oops. Folks, I wish, I wish God would give us all the gregarious, you know, how to win friend and influence people. But I'm sorry, we all don't have that. There's some people in church, you know, every church got a rhino. You know, come and bulldoze their way right in. Every church has a giraffe with a long neck that's sitting there making a huge problem. Every church has a skunk that's put his foot up. <laughs> Chemical warfare. You know, we got, every church got them. And there are a few doves around that mourn and groan. No, they exist. They're true. Amen. He says, if you hate your brother or sister, you're a murderer. Verse 15. Verse 14, you're about in death. If you see a brother have need and shut him up and shut him out, oh, God says, you don't have the love of God inside of you. Amen? So, when we come to the Lord's table, the Lord's cup, the Lord's supper, we wash one another's feet. And maybe we should do this more often. Maybe we should have communion more often. And then we could know where the ashes of fires are. I don't want that ashes of death in my church either, so I best not have it. <laughs> but church, to me, you're the best thing to the sliced bread. But do you feel that way about each other? When a person is poor, God can turn their things around. And you and I, well, I'm not you because you're a righteous one, but I got, I got a closet that Jesus buried, and you don't have a right to go dig it up. I don't want to see those bones. I pulled some tooth out from my dentist I never brought home to show my wife. <laughs> Hello? And there's some body parts that you have, have operation that they take out of your body. You don't, you don't bring it home. They put it in the garbage bin. Hello? You need, to, you need to be the reason why people stay in church. Boy, get some amen here, Jesus. Look at all these things right here. Join together, come together, gather together. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Now, folks, I'll be honest with you. Everybody that talks to me about you guys always give you platinum rating. You see the difference is I know you, they don't know you. That's not true. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> no, no, they speak highly of you. Says so Pastor Wyatt teaches it's called preventative maintenance. What if one day Sistine and I just drop dead and we cease to exist? Could you guys still have church? Are you one of those that says, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas? You're, you're wrong. This church go on a minute, what happened? And if you have to leave because the pastor dropped dead or she dropped dead, then you're, all you have is a, a preacher's religion. What about the city? What about the city? Okay. 
all you that are guilty, will you please come up here? I'm going to give you absolution of the righteousness of your penance here. Come up here, please. I'm ready to do my thing for you. Anybody here coming up? Lord, you're all self-righteous. Not one one confess. <laughs> no. Let's pray God right now for his word. Jesus, you're so good to us. 